welcome to Ars Arcanum, a podcast about Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere books. I'm Nora Blake. I'm joined by Tilly. Hi there. That's me. That's you. Who are you joined by? Uh, and I'm also, I'm joined by Autumn. Hi, that's me. That's you. Uh, I also go by Allison, but I kind of prefer Autumn this week. I don't know. We read Elantris chapters uh, four through six today, and we'll get to that in a second. We've also been reading other things. Who wants to go first? (laughs) I can go first. Sure. Um, So I read read a couple things recently. One is that um, I've been, over the last... I guess over the last 12 months at this point, I've been reading Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea series. I read uh, Tahanu uh, in the break between episodes, which I think is really fantastic. Um, uh, I think, like, um, Le Guin is at, like, the very far opposite end of the spe- uh, fantasy spectrum as, as Sanderson is. Yeah. And so it's like a very <laughs> different vibe from this. I re- Do you think he's read very much the Guin? Yes, actually. Oh, okay. There's, um, I, for some reason I googled, like, Brandon Sanderson, Ursula Le Guin. I think I wanted to see if they'd ever talk to each other. And what I found mm-hmm. was an essay that Brandon wrote that was basically like, listen guys, not all science fiction is going to have literary value like Ursula K. Le Guin. Sometimes it's going to be like my stuff and that's okay. <laughs> um Ursula okay Le Guin. But I, I they're very they're very different things that I love for very different reasons. Um Tahanu is really fantastic. I thought um Tahanu's the fourth book in the series. Uh the third book, The Farthest Shore, had been kind of a letdown for me, even though it ended really strong. And so Tahanu I thought was like a really good like return to just like Damn, this book is great, and this book is like great for the reasons that I think the first two are. So, uh, and then I've also been um, keeping up with the podcast Just King Things. So I read Carrie, uh, the first Stephen King novel, and I'm about halfway through Salem's Lot, which is just trashy and great, and so scared of gay people. But like, it's a good book despite all the weird fears that King is expressing in that book. <laughs> I feel like that's um, what you want in horror on some level is like some weird fears. Like Yeah, yeah. Like you wanna get like a vision of like, oh, this guy has some weird hang ups. <laughs> Why do they hate Russians? <laughs> no Russia in this book really. No I meant Dracula. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dracula hates <laughs> be- because Salem's lot, like King is literally just doing the plot of um, uh, of Dracula in so many ways. Like he's just lifting scenes from Dracula and putting them into uh, yeah. There's that one where that guy pours the other guy a drink and just stares at him the whole time <laughs> in this like foot tall flute. Is that what Dracula is like? Maybe I need to- that's what that's what Nosferatu the Vampire is like, directed by Werner Herzog. I do not. I do not like Dracula the novel very much, but uh, Herzog's Nosferatu is one of the best movies. <laughs> I think it's one of, it's definitely in my top four on my letterbox, um, along with Van Helsing from two thousand four. 
Yeah. I might need to run to the restroom real quick, so you two should talk about books. I'm you, very did, so- you did drink coffee today. I, I'm sorry that I will not be participating in the rest of the segment. I will be back just as soon as I can, okay? That's <laughs> all good. Uh, I'd be happy to go. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so I have not, like, been, um, like, just reading any books on my own for fun. It's That's kind of hard for me to do, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have been, like reading a lot because I've been reading for this and then I have another book podcast. Um, and then also, uh, this is not like content, but it is like a, a sort of, um, it's a thing that another person is involved in. So it like gets me to actually read. Um, I have been, uh, over the course of the past, like several months, um, I've been slowly reading aloud, uh, a trilogy of books, um, to my best friend over the phone. Um, this is the, the, the Short Sun trilogy um, by Gene Wolfe, which is like the... Uh, Gene Wolfe is, is, you know, also like a, a fantasy writer who writes fucking tomes that are in <laughs> long-ass series. So his, like, best work is The Solar Cycle, and that's... He wrote four books, and then another one, so there's like a five-book series, and then there's a four-book series, and then there's a three-book series, and... The last one is the one that I've been reading to Ben. Um, and uh, it, it takes a specific type of author to call your series a cycle. Yes, absolutely. It, yes, it does. Especially if it's not actually a cycle. Like It's not actually the cyclical. Arag- the Aragon series is called the Inherited Cycle, but it's not a cycle. <laughs> and cycles aren't a theme. Yeah, I, okay. I want to give Gene Wolfe some credit here. Uh, cycles are a theme in the solar cycle. Um, it Ooh. is about shit, like, repeating itself. The basic, um, like, jeez, how do I summarize the basic premise of it? The basic premise of it is that the sun is fucked. Um, okay. So the, 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 the first, like, four books are all, all set on, um, like, a super far future Earth, quote-unquote, where the sun is like dying and like huge and red. Um, so like stars are visible even during the day and like th- the climate is changing and just like the, the vibe is that like civilization is like too old and it's falling apart. Um, and the story is about someone who is kind of through like a, a weird fantasy plot kind of backs into fixing the sun, which is also, like, a religious journey. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, the trilogy that I've been reading to Ben, though, is all about um, the, like, descendants of a uh, generation ship that was sent out by the Empire that existed thousands of years before that, um, and how they're, like, trying to colonize this planet, um, but it's also not going very well there, even though they have a working sun, which is, like, a big deal. Um, and uh, the, the I guess the overall, like, vibes are, it, it, it's all about, like, this one guy who is going on a quest to go try to find, like, this leader that he knew when he was younger, but who's disappeared because he wants to bring him to these, uh, uh, these, you know, planet colonies to like make things suck less there. Um, and, uh, he too is on basically a religious journey where he essentially has to turn into the leader that he's looking for. 
um, and figure out what the fuck, like, this human culture that was on a ship for 300 years and then landed on a planet, like, when all of the systems that kept their ship running were basically running down. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to actually succeed in, like, making civilization on this planet? Is that even really a thing they should do? Like, what is their relationship to the empire that existed either hundreds or thousands of years ago, uh, which, like, is now, which they now have, like, veneration for, um, but also barely remember in, like, a historical sense. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's also, like, it's very... Gene Wolfe um, was, like, a, a, a very weird guy, a big crank, and also, like, extremely Catholic. Um, <laughs> so, like, the, the books are all kind of about that. There's definitely not multiple moments, um, especially in this trilogy, which, like, you know, you can kind of tell this is, like, not his, his best, best work, where it's like, oh, he was writing this later in his life. He was maybe getting a little more heavy-handed. So there are multiple moments where the protagonist, Horn, just kind of turns to camera and, like, does a theological debate. Um, and it's like, <laughs> here's what I think about aniconicism. Like, here's what it means if God tells you that uh, he doesn't want you to do pictures of him. Um, and that's just the shit that Ben and I eat up. Uh, which you'll know if you listen to our Moby Dick podcast, so it's been a lot of fun. Moby Dick podcast? Where is that? Oh, that's, uh, my, my Moby Dick podcast is called Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, um, and it's on the Abnormal Mapping Network, um, and yeah, it's basically like this podcast except just one book, and the book is Hig- about whales instead of magic systems. <laughs> it's also like literature. <laughs> I mean, it has yeah. literary value. <laughs> sure. Like yes, um, but uh, I love when my cranks are very Catholic. Mm-hmm. Was C.S. Lewis Catholic, or was he like? No, yeah, he was Catholic. Uh, no. Okay. What? C.S. I Lewis. No, C.S. Lewis was Catholic. Catholic. I'm pretty sure. I remember, him being, I remember him being either very Protestant or very Catholic uh-huh. and having feelings about whichever one he was not. Okay, yeah, this is, I mean, now I'm having like a, I felt so certain that he was Catholic, but the fact that you two aren't positive is making me think that maybe I'm I don't, wrong. I don't know a damn thing about C.S. Lewis, so I, I will I will Google here, C.S. Lewis Catholic uh, my phone <laughs> autocorrected to V.S. Lewis. Oh, wait. You know what I think he might be? I think he might be fucking uh, C of E. That would explain why I'm confused, because that's the most Catholic you can be while being Protestant. <laughs> uh, it says baptized in the Church of England, but uh, returned to Anglicanism at the age of 32. I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, Anglicanism is the Church of England, C of E. That's what I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I understand why you would get it mixed up and think he was Catholic then. <laughs> yeah. I don't know shit about shit. Yeah, um, it's um it's like uh the the Church of England is like it started as the, you know, the official state church that was founded, you know, during the Reformation. Um and because okay, this is like probably super simplified and anyone who actually is a historian of this would like shake me by the collar, but as far as mm-hmm. I can tell basically because uh the king was defecting from the Catholic Church for political reasons, so that he could annul his marriage, and not really because he had any theological issues. Um, the Church of England has now has always been like pretty similar to the Catholic Church in terms of its vibe, 
as opposed that to is, that uh, is my understanding as well yeah as opposed to like like a, a, a Lutheran um, sect where like Luther had lots of problems that he like exactly <laughs> you know what Luther really nailed it god damn it <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck off. I've also been reading some stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been, obviously, as I said last time, I've been reading Gundam. Uh, I don't know what the first book... This is like a book, but it's also technically three books in one, but it doesn't refer to them as a trilogy, just as like books inside a book, but they all have titles. So I assume they must have been published separately at some point. So it's the same thing as Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> no. If Fellowship of the Ring had, like, Awakening, and then it was whatever the next one is. Like, this is Gundam Awakening. But the book the the book cover just says Mobile Suit Gundam Awakening, comma, Retribution, comma, whatever the titles are. But it doesn't say... The Mobile Suit Gundam Trilogy. Well, yeah, but Fellowship of the Ring ha- like has a part in it where it says Book 2. I know. Okay. That's not what this is. Okay. It's fine. The book is fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that Tomino's a fantastic author. Mm-hmm. This is a very dry read. That does not surprise me. <laughs> it's a lot of like saying that something happened rather than showing a scene where that happened. That doesn't surprise me either. <laughs> um, there's also references to other scenes that could have been scenes, but weren't scenes. That seems very much like a way that you write if you are used to writing for TV. Mm-hmm. Um, like, 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 uh, uh, what I mean is that, like, scenes that could have been scenes but weren't there, like, no reason to do that in a novel, but it makes sense why that would happen in a TV show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh... Uh, the narrator just says, Shar had run several tests, like, uh, with the combat data of the mobile suits or something. Something like that. He'd run several simulations before doing this. And it's like, okay, well that could have been a scene that happened, but instead you're referring to it as it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, right in the moment where it becomes relevant. Right. Um, and this also- is also how he writes... The shows. <laughs> it's also a very, a very omnipotent narrator. Oh, that, oh yeah, that... omniscient. Um, oh, also I want omnipotent. I, I want to. I mean, I want a book with an omnipotent narrator. The narrator is just like, I don't like what these assholes are doing. I'm gonna make them stop. That's the book I tried to write as a teenager. I think that's Infinite Jest. <laughs> it's the real Infinite Jest is reading Infinite Jest. <laughs> My, uh, my, my college roommate for a while was, like, very into Infinite Chest, um, which, like, left me with, on the one hand, I had that kind of, like, oh, fuck Infinite Chest feeling that so many other people have, but I was also, like, oh, but I don't, I don't hate my roommate. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate uh, my roommate's attitude about Infinite Chest. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate my high school friend who loves House of Leaves. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Shrug. Shrug. 
Finding out that some of my friends don't like House of Leaves has really, like, freed me from... I don't like House of Leaves. Have you read it? I tried. Okay. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> well, finding out some of my friends have, like, read the whole book and don't like it has, like, really freed me in my brain, because I was like, someday I'll read it, and then just finding out some of my friends don't like it, I'm like, oh, I guess I don't have to. It's longer on the inside than it looks. Mm-hmm. Which is both a joke and true, because the experience of reading it feels like time dilation. <laughs> um, I feel like... Anyway. Sorry. No, I... It's all good. I have also been reading another Brandon Sanderson book. Hey, oh. that's cheating. <laughs> well, it's not Cosmere, so it's not... Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about some other Sandersons on this podcast someday. Maybe. Um, we'll read The Wheel of Time, but only the two that Sanderson worked on. <laughs> You're going to have to get someone else for that. I'm not touching The Wheel of Time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about this last yeah, time. Yeah, we did. We talked about like my college experience with people reading The Way of Time, Wheel of Time, and me just being like, why? <laughs> um, I've been reading Skyward, which is Brandon's recent foray into YA books. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know that he's done YA since Mistborn, I guess. He does younger aimed books, but I don't know that they're YA. I feel like they're younger than YA. Yeah, I feel like he does some, like, kids' books. The Reckoner stuff might be YA. I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about that Reckoner series. I think the it's a superhero. Like YA. I think it's a superhero thing. Okay. Um, it's interesting... To see Brandon, like, say his politics out loud to such a degree. Oh? Uh-huh. Um, what what does he want to teach the kids? I don't know yet. But basically, there's people, they live underground. Um, they're on a, they crashed on a planet. Their ship crashed, like, 70 years ago on the planet. They live on the planet. There's three layers of space debris surrounding the planet, like shields basically. And the prologue is the main character is a little little girl learning about space and the aliens that come and attack them whenever there's too many of them in one place, because they can sense when large gatherings happen, which means anytime that the population gets too big, the aliens fly in and start bombing. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Which feels like that's just going to be revealed to be the government of the place that they live. Yeah. And not aliens at all. That, yeah. That does seem like what would happen. Um, also, her dad wanted everyone... Well, someday we'll all live in one city. We'll make one nation and one, like, uh, civilization on this rock. Oh, the Earth together. Federation. <laughs> <laughs> one nation. <laughs> Under God, I mean the stars. <laughs> um, so I'm interested to see where it goes. It skips forward after the prologue, and that city exists where everyone lives together. And it's very City of Ember so far, because literally the first scene has been her in school... Uh, getting a lecture from somebody saying, hey, you should pick us to come work for. We're the the janitor corps. You I, should come work and do this, because our job's the most important. 
And then she's like, yeah, that's what the sewer workers said last week and the chef's guild the week before that. Everyone says that their work is the most important. I want to be a pilot, though. I don't want to do labor. I want to be a warrior. And it's a weird scene where her grandma tells her stories about, who do you want to hear about this week? He's a Beowulf? I'll tell you about Beowulf. He was your ancestor, you know. And then, um... Okay. <laughs> and then she's like, uh, well, you know what Sun Tzu said? Well, he was your ancestor, you know. Okay. I mean, I kind of um, respect this grandmother. Like, I love telling lies to children. And then she also said that... Who else was it? Uh... Someone, some other figure that I can't remember the name of, and her, and the mom was like, Beowulf was Danish, and Sun Tzu was Chinese. Chinese. Uh, how can, they can't both be her ancestor. And the grandma's like, all the great warriors of Earth are our ancestors, <laughs> and we carry their legacy. I love Gundam. <laughs> I mean, to be, I guess to be fair to the grandmother, it's one of those things where, like, if you go back far enough in human history, everyone is related to everyone else, right? Sure. Right. Um, I yeah. Like, it's not implausible that this kid is somehow like genetically related to both of those people, but like, not in a way that means anything. <laughs> right, and it's like at first I thought this was Brandon, just like. I'm going to tell you that this character is, like, Chinese. Mm-hmm. And by not saying China because it's in space and there's no China. Mm-hmm. But it's actually just this grandma's philosophy is that all of the great warriors of Earth <laughs> are our ancestors because we carry their spirit with us. So we, we're like, you know, we, we carry their legacy with us. Um, and so I don't think it's that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um... I hope that, much like City of Ember, this book takes a bizarre religious <laughs> turn. A fucking inscrutable religious turn. I want... Uh, I, don't, I don't remember that being inscrutable. I remember it being a very, like, we just need to stop having war and be peaceful together. But there's, so, there's something... There's something that gets, like deeply religious in the City of Ember books that I can't remember because it's... I know that there's aliens. I remember that I did not like the second book and that I really didn't like the the first couple chapters of the third book. The second book is where they go to a village and it's like, we have to work out our differences and be peaceful people because if we have conflict, we will become just like the old people, the old humans who, like, burned the world with their world wars. Mm. But we can't do that. We can't be like them. We have to be nice as individuals so that state violence doesn't happen? Mm. (laughs) Um, Or something like that. Anyway, um, I'm interested to see where this space book goes. She doesn't have a spaceship yet, but I think she will soon. It's on the cover. I love that for her. You good? Yeah, I'm just spilling coffee on my chin. It's fine. I was hoping you wouldn't draw attention to that on the podcast, but it's fine. You got two big droplets on the underside of your chin. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) This is a video podcast now. (laughs) Podcast. 
Anyway, we we watched Elantris episodes <laughs> uh, four through six. Uh, I we love, did now. Fucking love the Elantris eye catch. <laughs> yeah, the OP for Elantris is really good. What is the Elantris eye catch? It's like a person turning into. It's like a person experiencing the Shayod, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the. Be- I think it changes like the the like. The first half is one character, and the second half is a different character. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe the first one is Raiden drawing the the logo of the show with his finger. That'd be pretty sick. It would probably just be something cute that a, a, a Sion was doing, right? It would probably just be... Oh, because that's the Haro, like, yeah. Yeah, that's the Haro. <laughs> I can't believe we have just, dead Haros in this book. Sion's <laughs> hanging out with dogs. <laughs> a dog slowly climbing a giant Sion over the course of many eye catches of like six episodes. Uh, who wants to talk about Raiden? I'll talk about Raiden. I talked about Raiden last week. Um, I'm going to hastily pull up the Elantris summaries that we were reading last time to just ref- refresh my memory. Um, there we go. Right, so this chapter is a lot of exposition. Um, the the novel still really hasn't started for Raiden, I feel like. Um, Raiden and Galadin are, Galadon, are walking around, um, Elantris, and Galadon is explaining, like, okay, there are three main gangs um, that Autumn can't remember. Um, so, there, one gang is Karada's people, um, one gang is led by Shaor, and the final gang is led by Aenden. Um I am trying to remember which one is which in this summary is not being tremendously helpful. Aenden is in the university. Right, Aenden is in the university, uh, he is has some power because uh, he discovered that there was something edible in the books. Uh, vellum. Vellum. Now they're now they're out of it, and so he is like it feels like maybe something is going to happen. He's going to make a move to get some more power somehow because uh, like he doesn't have access to food anymore. Um, I believe. Uh, he is jealous of whichever gang has control of the palace because Karada, Karada, like he believes that like controlling the palace of Elantris would give him more authority. Um, he's also Karada. You go. He's the one who's like claiming to have been a noble on the outside. So I think that's also yes. why he wants the palace because he's like, oh, I'm the king of Elantris now. Um, right, and and Raiden is like, I don't know that name, so either he changed his name when he got here, or he was not a noble. So that'll be a little interesting mis- interesting mystery that we will untangle uh, as the book goes on, I assume. Or as Olivia says, one of Brandon's little mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so he wants the palace. Which one is guarding the palace? Karada. Karada? Like I just said. You did say that. <laughs> um... Karada uh, is the one that is trying to get out. Um, Karada was seen near the palace uh, in K. Uh, in K. Um, is that what it is? Did you 
confirm that it's K? I can't remember. You listen to the, <laughs> the only know. one who listens to the audio anymore. I know. Um, and uh, it was presumed to have been um, like trying to assassinate the king. Um, Raiden thinks I think she said she wanted to. That's what she said. Yes, and Raiden was like, "Hmm, I don't know. That seems like." What's her motive there? Like, what does she get out of assassinating the order. King? I used to live there. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and so he is he is skeptical of what she is telling people uh, she was doing. Um, yeah, it just makes no sense that somebody who is, like, experiencing, a, like, a tremendous um, sort of hardship would lash out at the authority figure that enforces the status quo that maintains her hardship. Right. Okay. That, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But to be fair, the king doesn't control the Shi'od. I, yeah, I want to defend Raiden a little bit here. Like, I do agree that he's like not getting the very obvious reasons why someone in her position would want to <laughs> kill the king. But I don't think he's wrong that like she's been able to successfully escape. Why not just like run out to the countryside and like just fucking vibe? Like, yeah, I'm I'm not saying I don't understand the concept of like wanting to take bloody revenge and feeling like that matters more than just being able to have a life. Um, But it kind of seems like it's not that hard to escape Elantris because she's done it multiple times. It's mentioned in the next chapter, I think that in chapter six, I think. Okay. (laughs) That there aren't enough people to actually patrol the walls because, like, that's not really needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just have big sticks uh, that I assume they just use to knock people off the walls. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Honestly, it, it does. Like, it it it's that along with like other things in this chapter um, makes me think that, like, the reason all these people are in Elantris is. More than just, like, Iadin decided to put them there, you know? Um, like, that there's some kind of weird magic thing that makes that the case somehow. I, 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 I have no idea. That's just kind of yeah, a shot it in the also, dark. It that also, makes sense to me. It also says that um, things deteriorate faster than normal inside the city. Yeah. Like, materially. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely... There's some... I, I also... There's something about location that is important to Elantris. It's, like, a thing I know vaguely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I read somewhere that, like... Not to, like, zoom out too far into the Cosmere stuff, but as far as I'm aware, Elantris stuff doesn't work outside of Elantris zone. Okay. Wait, does the magic... Wait a minute. Is the normal... Like the- Sorry, I, the glyph, the glyph stuff doesn't work off of, off of Aeon. Is that the planet? I have no idea. Wait, does I'm just trying to summarize this chapter, my dude. That's just amazing <laughs> to me that normally Brandon's magic does work if you leave the world. Like that actually surprises me a lot. Anyway, <laughs> um, you can cut this later, I guess. No, it's fine. It's fine. The other, the other thing that uh, we learn about uh, Karada, um, we learn a lot about Karada, which makes me think she's going to be a principal character in the novel. Um, uh, the thing that we, we learn about her is that she's very merciful. Um, uh, when, you, when a new person enters the city, they can either like turn right, turn left, or go forward. And if you like 
that's how the gangs have kind of split up um, the food that comes into the city. Like, we don't mess with each other's, like, people. And so, like, if you walk into what is Karada's territory, she just, like, gently threatens you um, and, and takes your food. Whereas if you walk into, like, Shayor's territory, Shayor's main uh, characteristic that Galadon, or Galadon exposits here is that Shayor is, like, brutal. Like, will just beat the hell out of you just because she wants to. Um, Shayor is the Joker. Yeah, Shayor is the Joker. <laughs> we don't get a ton more about Shayor here, I don't think. Um, nothing I can remember off the top of my head. I do think it's worth mentioning that even, like, Shayor and his gang, who are kind of, like violent for no reason um still won't get into a fight that they think where they think the other person has like any chance of fighting back because they're that scared of even like a a tiny injury right because uh galadon is like well when you came into the city raid and you had wandered into shayor's territory but like they just like threatened you um because they thought like you know even if you had just like gotten in one good punch and like you know, knocked out a tooth or something, like, that that causes a problem for these people, you know? And so even these, like, very brutal people are very cautious. Um, something else that, like, uh, Raiden remarks on in this chapter is that, like, Galadon, like, walks through the city very slowly and is, like, always, like, looking where he sets his feet, making sure not to, like, step on, like, you know, step on something, making sure not to stub his toe, and... and it seems like this is how a lot of people move through Elantras, is just, like, very slowly, very cautiously, because you can't really risk just, like, you know, hitting your funny bone on, on a on a door or something. And it's also, like, everything's fucking covered in slime. So it's yeah, probably... Yeah, and also everything is covered in slime. It's probably very <laughs> easy to, like, just slip and do a pratfall. Oof. Yeah. You don't want to do a pratfall? No! You do not want to slip on the slime banana peels in a lot dress. Um, and so, uh, Galadon does all this exposition, and Raiden's like, wow, you're so wise, you know so much about Elantris. And, uh, he asks, like, how long have you been here? And Galadon is like, eh, six months, maybe? I don't know. Um, and it hits Raiden that, like, oh, people don't last here. Like, being here for six months, like, puts you as a person who has, like, a lot of wisdom to share, you know? Um, it's it's really, like, it's really fucked up how much the idea of someone who is, like, like gone in Elantris exists, even though it's impossible to die. Like, you just reach a mm-hmm. state of suffering where, like, I guess you're not really there anymore yeah like you're not and in in some ways like you're not human anymore you are just suffering (laughs) um which that's not me saying it that's just i'm not saying that these people are less than human because they are suffering i'm saying like that's kind of how the book characterizes like the way that these people are is it's just like yeah like red and galadon are just like stepping over people who are just like laying in the fetal position, mumbling to themselves and stuff. Like, these people are not described as, like, human in a lot of ways. Um, of course, there's a capitalized word for it, the, the hoed. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Which I keep reading as hoed on the wiki. I mean, because <laughs> that is an English word. H-O-E-D is, is just already a word, Brandon. There's some hoed in this house. <laughs> There's some hoid in this house. <laughs> I think I'm very funny. I know you do. They simply thought uh, it out too hard, and then their lives became nothing but suffering. <laughs> Cognitive realm is their own thoughts. <laughs> um, and so finally, um, like, they are winding down for the night. They are, uh, and, um, Raiden asks Galadon, like, where do you live? And, and Galadon is very coyly like, I don't know, none of these, no one lives in any of these houses. People just sleep places, you know? Um, and, and Galadon, and Raiden's like, no, really, but like, where's the one where you go to sleep? What he says is Duladel. Right. He says Duladel. Which is important for later. Um, that's where Galadon is from, right? Yes. He's a dual, dula. Yes. And so Duladel. Which we'll talk about in a moment. Yes, and then um, Raiden's like, okay, but like, where is the place that you have like kind of made your home here in Elantris? And Galadon goes and shows him like the place where he lives, and it's like um, there's a lot of books on the walls. It's a um, wine cellar. It's very dry. It's a wine cellar. It's very dry. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm. It's how I'm collecting my thoughts. Um, and, and Raiden is like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, you have books from Elantris. These are valuable. Like, you know, like the collected wisdom of like, you know, the people that we considered gods for centuries. Like r- some of it is here in this wine cellar where you live. Um, and I don't remember what the conversation that sets this up is, but like, um, uh, Raiden is like, says something about the magic that the Elantrians used to do, and, and Galadon is like, oh yeah, I can do some of that magic, and writes one of these glyphs in the air, um, and kind of like smirks at him. He's like, ah, I, grew th- I blew this kid's fucking mind. I fucking rocked his socks. Now, this is an Aeon. Mm-hmm, an Aeon. Which is like the symbols. Yeah. There's one of those inside of the Sion, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So... Pointing, gesturing, shrugging. Yeah. <laughs> Magic exists outside of Elantris. Like, we still know that. We know that is still present, just mm-hmm. in a different form. Maybe this is the Fabrial equivalent of search finding. Maybe. I don't know. That makes sense to people <laughs> that haven't read Way of Kings. <laughs> you are jumping ahead today. Yeah. Shut up. I mean, I, uh, this is kind of, like, in the next chapter, but we do hear that, like, Seons are very old and like are passed down over generations mm-hmm. and generations. So it definitely yeah. would make sense, I think, if like the ancient Elantrians who could use this magic created them and now no one can make any more. Yep. Do we have more remarks about this chapter? I felt like like I say, I felt like, oh, the the book still hasn't started because he's just doing exposition. <laughs> Um, like, there's no conflict introduced in this chapter. It's just explaining what Elantris is. And also giving you a little, like, hey, magic moment. Yeah. I, I, I was, uh, 
I thought I found it kind of like I guess funny um, that like one of the minor exposition details is like okay so everyone in Elantris is like desperate for food all the time that's why the main thing that the gangs have divided up is like access to the people who come with offerings of food and so like of course you have to ask like are people eating each other and the answer is no because um they taste bad. yeah like because like the the, the corpse of a, or i guess i guess the flesh because they can't become a corpse but the the flesh of someone who has this affliction like is so bitter that no one can keep it down and i Personally, I look at that as Brandon just being like, I don't want cannibalism to be a major thing in this. If I don't do something, <laughs> it's gonna be because I did say that all these people are desperately hungry all the time enough to do horrible shit. <sighs> yeah. I'm going to quickly explain this away so that we don't have to worry about it for the rest of the book. And I honestly do appreciate that because my because I am spending all my time thinking about cannibalism for my other podcast, so... <laughs> I mean, it literally has read and say the line, it's nice to see that cannibalism has been so logically ruled out as an option. And I was like, yes, just thank you. Brandon. I agree. <laughs> That's just Brandon poking his head in. <laughs> so don't ask about this. It's not It's not in the story. Um, um, but also this chapter ends with, with Galadon saying, Galadon chuckled. Oh, you mean the chaos of Because <laughs> <laughs> he literally just chuckles smugly and draws a glyph in the air with his finger. I'm always he doing this. He thinks he's so fucking slick. <laughs> I think Galadon's pretty slick, to be honest. Like, I like him. Should we, should we chug along to chapter five? Yeah. yeah. Who wants to talk about Serini? Uh, I, I, I would like to, if that's cool. Okay. Go for it. Uh, so, so this, uh, this chapter starts with, um, Serini's, you know, at, at court, at King Yadon's court, um, and, uh, Prathen shows up, um, and she's, like, she's kind of, like, watching this whole situation and chatting to Ash, like she does, um, and mm-hmm. Serini mentions that um, this is, like, Harathan being here is a really big deal because there are only 20 Gjorns total. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she's kind of, like, looking at this and being like, oh, damn, like, the Fjordal Empire is making moves, huh? Um, But Iodon uh, kind of doesn't give a shit. Um, Yeah. So basically, (laughs) Harathan is here to uh, very, like, straightforwardly and without a lot of attempt to convince um, tell Eodon to convert to Shudareth. Um, like, this is his, you know, this is his attempt to, uh, uh, I guess, get the low-hanging fruit out of the way, to be like, alright, the easiest way to accomplish my task would be if I can get the king to convert. Um, but he doesn't really, I don't think he's really trying, because I don't think he really thinks it's gonna happen. Because um, Eodon pretty much is just like, no, I already have a religion, thanks. Um, it's, like, basically the same as yours, so don't worry about it. Just go out there and, like, do your converting shit, I don't care. Um, and, uh, yeah, specifically, Eodon believes in Shukorath, which he claims worships the same god, so you get the sense that there's some kind of, you know, history of one or the other of these breaking off of the other one, probably. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, The parent religion is Shukesic. Yeah. Yeah, it's not entirely clear to me. The idea of, um... 
I, I, I question Brandon's historical writing here a little bit here, because I think the idea of um, like a, a religious split where neither side is claiming to be the original one is kind of weird. Um, like, is there like a, is there like a third group somewhere who's like, no, we're just the original shit. Well, and also, um, I, I want a better insight into what the split is. I'm sure it's coming, but I really would have appreciated it in this chapter where they're already talking about it so much. Yeah. I get the feeling because they, they, Hraithan says something about like, so-and-so is the true form of our god. And so I think Hraithan's sect believes that like their, their, uh, worm, their god king is like a, is a physical incarnation of God Mm -hmm. and, um, whatever Eodon sect does not believe that, but I want to know, like, when did that show up? <laughs> like, when did someone decide this guy is God? <laughs> yeah. It's also, um, part of this also, another element in this chapter where I was like, boy, like I'm getting some exposition, but I need so much more. Um, is that Eodon says, uh, Fjordan hasn't held any real influence for two centuries. And Hraithan counters, Fjordan is more powerful now than it ever was before. And I, I think that what's going on here is that Fjordan, like, was doing a lot of active military conquering about two centuries ago, but isn't doing that right now. But they are setting up to do it in three months. And yeah, and they is, just did it. They just did it in Duladil. Right, and Hraithan is completely playing their hand here by saying Fjordan is more powerful now. Like, I think maybe we're meant to understand that as something of a reference to like spiritual power as well. And like the way that Sereni reflects on this later in the chapter suggests mm-hmm. that, but like, yeah, like I really would like to know like what war has Fjordun been prosecuting over the past like 10 years. Um, and why doesn't Iodon see them as a threat? Um, I think though that really Iodon is just a fucking dumbass. Um, he really feels like one. <laughs> like, it's 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 just, uh... Like, there is literally a bit where Ash is just like, oh, Eodon isn't really a politician. He's just a merchant. Um, which uh, plays into the, I guess, the political history of Kai, which is, like, interesting and stuff, but it is kind of like, how dumb can Eodon possibly be and have held power for ten years? I mean, really. Um, right. Anyway, uh... Well, I guess he doesn't have to be smart if he has all the swords. Right, but how did he how did he get all the swords like in the Elantrian Revolution or whatever? Anyway, um okay, so We'll get there in just a moment. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um So Iran basically dismisses Hraithan and tells him to get out, um, and Hraithan does. Uh and Sereni is kind of chit chatting about this with Ash and they're both kind of like, Wow, Iran's such an idiot. Um and uh, Sereni kind of decides, like, that it will be fun to, like, intellectually fence with Hraithan, basically. Um, right. I will debate him. <laughs> yes, absolutely, she's going to debate him. Um, and, and, like, you know, it's, it's because she recognizes that he's genuinely dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is interesting that she, um, she looks at him as... Uh, like, the discussion that she has with Ash, um, she's like, the Werns are more powerful now than they were centuries ago. And Ash says, it's hard to look past military might. 
So it, it sounds like she sees, um, uh, she sees the worms as having a lot of like soft power, like presumably through their religion, um, that isn't necessarily reflected in like standing armies that Eodon would be aware of. Um, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, there is like a, uh, there, there's, there's some kind of line about like, uh, not finding it, but anyway, some, some kind of line about how like an army of priests could be more dangerous than an army of soldiers, um, which is like a very like, like, Hey guys, do you get it? Like cultural imperialism is also a thing. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, so so while she's in the middle of, uh, uh, oh, right, one, like, good bit here is that, like, Serini kind of is deciding, like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna try to fight this Hraithan guy and, like, not let him get what he wants. And Ash is like, oh, okay, so you're supporting Iodon, even though you hate him? And she's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I guess he is my king. And, and also, mm-hmm. like, you know this alliance, whatever, I don't want. Like, ultimately, you know, it's bad for her people if Fjordal increases its power. Um, but it is kind of interesting to me that uh, Serini is clearly, like, a political actor, but she has, like, no ideology or, like, cause. Um, she's literally just like, well, I've been dropped in a court. I guess I'll pick a thing to defend. Um. <laughs> well, what she says is anything is better than Fjordal rule. Right, right. Um... Which, that's the good, that's like the core basis of an ideology is, what don't I want? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, um, also immediately after she sort of says this, where she's like, okay, yeah, Iotan sucks, but I'd, I'd rather live under him than, than Fjordal. Uh, then he, like, sexistly tells her to go away. Um, yes, <laughs> and she puts on her, like... Timid maiden act. Oh my god. Okay, I'm actually so mad about this one line. So, so This is so terrible. So what happens is he's like, women aren't supposed to be in court. And she's like, oh, no one told me that. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just wanted to see the pictures. Um, and so then, you know, she's able to, like, leave without him suspecting that she was doing anything. Um, and Ash is like, uh, Ash is kind of like being like, what the hell was that? Um, why are you acting like such a feminine stereotype? And I just really want to call bullshit on that. A stereotype, the word stereotype comes from like early, like printing, like photography. It, it is not a word. It makes any goddamn sense for Ash to say, let alone the idea that like the concept of like stereotypes as like ways that people behave that accord to like, you know, how people expect them to be. Like, I think that meaning of the word is much, much more recent and has to do with, like, fucking political thought of the 20th century. So, yeah, just, I call full bullshit on this. Well, and it's also just terrible writing because it's just, well, I don't think you're acting in character. Well, he says, (laughs) I just never thought I'd see the day when you, of all women, gave in to a feminine stereotype, even if it was just an act. And Brandon cannot stop himself from writing, she's a strong woman, not like other women you might see in other books. She's a strong woman. She's smart. She's smart. She's a politician. It's also so fucking laughable to me that Ash has never seen her do this before. Like, 
She's right. She's she jumped to this immediately. Surely this is not the first time she's like batted her lashes at someone to make them go away and stop bothering her. Like that's actually a very, you know, it's a very common thing. Yeah, like I'm not trying to say that you know I do this constantly, but as far as like, as far as cheap tricks, as a like girl, that's that's like the first one. It's the yeah. first one you learn in girl school. So like I do that to get Autumn to bring me shit all the time. I do that at work. Yeah. So like um yeah, it it has a little bit of the vibe um that I think you know, I think this is maybe reflecting the fact that this is like a very early novel. You do kind of feel like Serene maybe started to exist at the beginning of this book, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um This is also I will note here the where i started to really notice that the audiobook narrator is very much doing a like sassy gay voice for um for what's the seance ash for ash like the the the, i asked you two about it and you two were like it's not really in the novel but like the audiobook narrator is introducing this like queerness to the way that he voices Ash that is like okay there's some layers to having the the sassy gay best friend that is also not really like an actor in the novel yeah this is something that I was thinking about is that like Ash definitely has a lot of opinions you know like Ash literally is the one who says oh Eodon's just a merchant he's not a politician so like it's not as though Ash is just like sort of a, a robot who only says like the objective truth or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, that's also obviously Serini's opinion. Um, so uh, the note that I wrote is, is Ash going to be like an actual character? Um, it, for a thing that has existed for 2000 years or whatever, and like been, I guess the possession of generations of people, he doesn't really seem to like, look through the lines of what's happening. He doesn't point out, oh, you, you, like, archetype of nobles are all doing this, and, like, you're just doing this because of this, or, like, seeing through her at all. He's really just, like... Taking everything at face value. Which, like, maybe... Maybe if they are robots in the sense of, like, they can't process new ideas, then every time he encounters a person like this, he doesn't like, internalize how they act, but it does also feel like he is not old at all, or has any experience. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, like, this shows up later in, like, Stormlight with Syl, but there it's like, she literally didn't exist before the book. Right. Right. In In a way. Like, Ash also feels like he was conjured for this story in the world, because, like, despite being centuries old, he doesn't, like, have any input or perspective that paints him as differently than just the AI servant that goes along with the princess. Mm-hmm. For what it's worth, I, I think... I can't find any examples now, right? Sorry. But but I think that this book actually genders seons with it. Um, not that... I It's... It's unclear to me because Ash is definitely gendered with he, him pronouns a couple times, but then I don't know... I swear to... Okay, I... that, that's cool. We had this talk last time and we came to a different... <laughs> I think I think 
both it and he have been used for um for like i think it is a kind of a general Sion thing, whereas like Ash, Ash specifically is he maybe. Okay, I can believe that. Uh, I'm just looking at these two pages at least, and it seems like uh, there are no pronouns being used. Yeah, that's it the thing. It seems like Brandon is writing Ash every time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Th- that's. Okay. I mean, the vibe that I'm getting is that this is a cis person writing a genderless robot. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, um. Anyway, we need to go to to Hunky K. Right. Yes. So so she's like leaving court, and uh, she's suddenly somebody like calls out her childhood nickname Emi, and like a huge guy shows up and gives her a bear hug, and she's like, "What the fuck is happening?" Um, and uh, and then um, like partway through the hug she realizes that it's her hunky K or her <laughs> uncle Keen. Um, and uh, it turns out this is like her, uh, her father's younger brother who um, she remembers as like kind of a like confirmed bachelor and like trader. And like, he used to always go on trips and come back with cool presents for her. And she loved him, but she hasn't seen him in years um, because apparently he's settled down in Kai, and he's married and has, like, five kids. Um, and this whole thing is all very shocking to her because she doesn't, she didn't know about any of this, pretty much. Um, and she's like, wow, you know, I'm sure my dad would be surprised that you're living in Aralon. And he's like, no, he knows. Um, so th- there's, there's something here where, like, there's been some kind of, like, falling out between Serini's father and her uncle that they have been hiding from her. Um, but she doesn't really have much time to, like, think that through, um, because, uh, he invites her to his place for dinner. Um. He says, you need to meet the monster of a woman who finally managed to capture your uncle. And then the next sentence after the page break is, Ken's wife was hardly a monster. <laughs> In fact, she was one of the most beautiful, mature women Serini had ever seen. Because Brandon fucking loves MILFs. <laughs> I was Brandon loves MILFs, and Brandon loves accidentally writing women loving MILFs. I, w- I fucking I wrote this in my notes. Ringing the Serini is gay for her aunt alarm. Um <laughs> But then, uh, then like like a few paragraphs later, she meets like she meets all her cousins, all all, all of uh, Keen's uh-huh. kids, um, and she she also thinks uh, one of her male cousins is hot. So, um, you know, Serene. We love the the strong female accidental bisexual in a Brandon yes. Sampson novel. <laughs> so, so we 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 should talk about um, sort of the the big thing here in this section, which is, um, what is it, what is the phrasing here? Um, the, the, the cousin whose mind is broken. Oh, fuck. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. So bad. There's one of, one of the cousins in the family is like, a, the, so he has like a bunch of kids who seem to range in age from like, well, okay, some of them are not actually his biological kids. They're like his wife's kids from the previous marriage. Anyway, they range in age from like a little girl who's about 10 to like adult children um but one of them is like not making eye contact with people and repeating numbers and 
like everyone ignores it when he says stuff and it's just like oh great the little the littlest sister uh kaisi kais kais yeah um says adm is always sleeping i think it's because his mind is only half awake and like it's it's rude but it's not like it's not not true i guess in this context um not to say that I think that's, like, a thing that can actually be true of a person. I just mean, like, that's that's what the book is saying, you um, know? Then, uh, two pages later, we have Serenia's version of it, which is in, like, in the narration. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, Serenia had met people like him before, children whose minds weren't completely whole. <sighs> it just sucks ass. So, Brandon fucking sucks at writing anything about, like, the mind, Mm-hmm. And how it works or doesn't work in certain contexts. And, like, this is just going to be a thing that we're going to have to sit with for all of his books. I guess we basically mm-hmm. already had, like, a certain kind of, like, fucked up portrayal of neurodivergence in the sense of, like, that's that's what all the people who've, like, succumbed to the pain are like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But this is, yeah. like, much more, that's, like, a, a, a horrific <laughs> fantasy thing that is still, like, right. implying some kind of fucked up things about, you know, like chronic pain and mental illness i guess um but this is literally just like oh i put an autistic child stereotype in my novel um right like the shao doesn't exist and the conditions that those people are experiencing cannot actually like be represented or recreated in the real world um because i don't think that's how nerves work no so uh that's like iffy but at least he has, like, the foundation of magic bullshit. At least he has that at the core. Uh, this is just straight up, like he said, autistic child stereotyping. Yeah. Um, he just talks about, oh, how many steps it is from Smorden to Aralon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just counting in his head, which is, like, obvious. <laughs> It's also, um, uh, this, this dinner, in addition to being a chance for some, like, unpleasant stepping in it in terms of, like, coding, um, and also it's, it's very clearly just kind of like, oh, look at this fun big family, look at this nice dad who's, like, cute and cooks and stuff, um, it's also an opportunity for a little bit of exposition about the politics and the history of, uh... Erlon and Kai and Elantris. And it turns out... It's some wild shit. It turns out that ten years ago, you know, when the fucking... The the thing... When Elantris fell. Exactly. Like, that day, all the servants in the city, like, turned against their masters and did a revolution. Um, And there was, like, riots and chaos and stuff. And then uh, the ultimate outcome of that was that the merchant class took power. And that's, you know, that's who Eodon is. Um, and, and that's why, I guess, we're meant to believe that he's, like, so bad at being a king, I guess. Um, and that's also why uh, Keen's family doesn't have any servants. Um, so, like, he does all the cooking. Um, and, like, it's a very weird thing to me because um, I feel as though we're maybe meant to look at that as kind of, like, morally admirable or at least, like, just very sweet and homey, you know? Um, but the reason they don't have servants is because 10 years ago, the servants killed their masters and they don't want that to happen to them. (laughs) And also, Brandon doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. This is what the book says. 
Uh, it was the servants who started the revolution. The very day their masters fell, the servants turned on them. Some, mostly the country's current nobility, say it was because the lower class in Elantris was treated too well oh that God. their pampered <laughs> natures inspired them to cast down their former rulers at the first sign of weakness. Well, okay, I do want to be fair to Brandon and say, like, this is, first of all, Keen is saying this, and second of all, Keen is saying other people say this and they might be wrong. Like, I don't think we're meant to believe that, like, revolution is what happens if you're too nice to your lower classes. Um, <laughs> but but I, I also think that, like, in a weird way, like, okay, what, what, ha- what happened in Elantris, or what happened in Elantris and Kai ten years ago is was basically a bourgeois revolution, right? Like, a, a hereditary mm-hmm. noble class was replaced with the leadership of it, with, like, like the, the bourgeois class became the ruling class and, like, destroyed mm-hmm. the old nobility. Um, and now you have a situation where, like, there's still an underclass, but everything is kind of unstable. And, like, you know, that's not... That has happened in history, right? Like, the, 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 that's how capitalism began kind of um Mm -hmm. but but there are all kinds of things about the specifics of this that are very very weird yeah oh i also love um that along with like saying oh you know we don't use servants um keen kind of specifies like oh we make our kids do all the work um yeah (laughs) which is just like oof Mm-hmm. Um, that just it's just very feels very like big homeschool family. Yeah. <laughs> to me, we are absolutely, I think, meant to think that. I mean, okay, I'm not trying to take some kind of strict children should not do chores ever standpoint here, but like, mm-hmm. there, it's not just about chores, right? They literally run a fucking castle. So, like, if they're making their children do all the work, that's like that's a lot of child labor. Um, but like the vibe is literally just like everyone's laughing about it and it's like, oh, the kids have to scrub the floors. Isn't that a nice thing for nobles to have to do sometimes, huh? Yeah, it's 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 far beyond, oh yeah, we make our t- kids take out the trash and we give them a dollar every time they do it or something. <laughs> I mean, I think that we're meant to believe that it is like that, but like, I don't believe Brandon because they have a castle yes. and it takes more work than that <laughs> to run a, a castle. castle. They have a mansion. Oh, forgive us. <laughs> uh, I believe the summary refers to it as a castle-like home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, also, we have a little more world building. A couple of little details, like um, Serini says, oh, you're you're Fjordan? And the, the wife says, no, I'm from Swart. I'm Swartish. Yes. Swarden, which is, like, definitely, like, a place that was, take, it was, like, conquered by Fjordel, mm-hmm. but has its own identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get f- fantasy chopsticks as a gag. Oh, yeah. Which aren't actually chopsticks, but they're, like, some sort of implement that is vaguely designed that... Serini doesn't know how to use to eat the food, because it's my pond food, which we know from Emperor's Soul, like the afterward mm-hmm. Emperor's Soul. Like, this is the, the area of of this world that is, like, 
Fantasy Asia? Yes. I kind of um, I kind of got the sense that like what was happening here is it's like, oh, this is fantasy Asian food and my fantasy white people don't know how to use the fantasy Asian utensils. But the fantasy Asian utensils are actually a knife and fork and the fantasy white people utensil is a spoon. Get it? <laughs> um Whoa, my mind is blown. <laughs> anyway, I also think it's very, very, very funny that um the name of the Fantasy Asia place is is my pawn. It has camel case in it, by which I mean there's a capital letter in the middle of a word. Um, mm-hmm. That's just such a... Oh, no. There's... Oh, you didn't know because you have... Oh, my yeah. God, yeah, oh, no. no. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, there's camel case in this book, which is... I mean, on some level, I hate it and it sucks, but on some level, I deeply respect the balls that it takes to put that in your first book. <laughs> Because the, because it's it's also the name of the food, which is high code, is has like the capital K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's oh. a, there's a lot of stuff about uh, Keen um, has like traveled the world more than anyone else, and so he like knows all these exotic dishes to make, and there's a lot made of like how it, how exotic his tastes are because he goes to the exotic place, and it's like really hammering home. Oh, I know about all the different people. Yeah, and also it's my pond food is very greasy. Oh, if half of it doesn't end up on the floor, you're not eating it right. That was oh my god, that's such a fucking success. But I mean, that is what like white people who are cooking Chinese food say. <laughs> like, yes. Keen sprinkling MSG on uh on the food and being like, this is an exotic spice. God. Um, one thing that I just noticed, like, now, like, I didn't notice this when I was reading the chap- the, the, the chapters, but um, in chapter four, there's a little bit where Raven is kind of, like, reflecting on his, like, social life outside, and he's like, damn, I wonder, are my friends going to st- still keep having their clandestine meetings? I didn't even get to meet my friend's new wife. And he mentions Keen. So Raven and Keen oh. are friends, or were friends, I guess. Um, All right, and I I I missed that detail. I remember that I remember this conversation, but I missed that it was keen because I didn't have the context for it. Yet. Yeah, yeah. I also like. I mean, I, in a way, it's 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 pretty skillful because I think if he introduced Keen as a character before that conversation, you would notice the name a lot more. Um, right. But yeah, um, I I assume that Rayoden and Keen and their buddies were like plotting something political like maybe not literally going to overthrow Eodon, but like that's i feel like that's the logical assumption of like some nobles are meeting clandestinely and raiden wonders if they're going to continue that they were you know doing something and one of the children in this family luko is raiden's best friend oh right yes that also so yeah it, God, it really does. There's also a bit in chapter four where Raven is like, "Damn, I never got to meet my wife." Well, that's certainly not going to happen now. And I'm like, "Hmm, <laughs> I don't know, buddy." Yeah, he says she ne- she would have never come to uh, K, and she would have just stayed in um, Teod. Teod and like dramatic irony, melodramatic irony. Yes. <laughs> um. That's Serene. One last thing I want to touch on um, is that 
Uh, this chapter ends on Serene um, saying, you know, oh, I, I feel so at home and so happy now in this moment. Like, I just feel really happy that I've, like, found my place in, in, in this strange city and, you know, I just feel really accepted in this family and I'm really glad to have this family. Uh, I read a Brandon Sanderson book, something terrible is going to happen next time. I don't know what yet, but something terrible is going <laughs> to happen <laughs> because she no. has remarked upon the feeling of happiness. You have to wor- You have to watch out if that sentiment is expressed at the beginning of a scene, oh, not okay. at the end. Well, I'm not going to spoil things, but <laughs> I, I think we got to watch out for Serene. <laughs> responsibilities back over to Nora, uh, who is looking uh, shocked and, and awestruck. I'm pulling a Garma face. <laughs> you never want to be doing that. <laughs> um, so we took we took a break uh, after the first a five hour break. Yeah, we took a five hour break. <laughs> a little bit, just a little break. No, after the first two chapters. Uh, uh, Tilly had stuff. I had stuff. Uh, Nora didn't. It's her day off. But, you know. I still worked. Yeah, you still did stuff. I just, you just didn't have time-sensitive stuff. I finished and... I did! Oh! I finished and restarted uh, Dishonored 2 for the podcast, and I forgot that I had Rush Jet today. Um, so we didn't do that. Well, I apologize. Uh, uh, anyway, and there was a moment where I thought... As I was trying to decide, do I want to say let's take a break or do I want to like try and like rush through? I was like, well, maybe we can cover this chapter in like ten minutes and it's fine. And then I remembered, oh right, there's some shit in this one. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some content. There's some content. But before we get there, Nora, did you want to tell us about Brandon's rules of magic, or do we want to save that for another episode? I don't know. I didn't know if we want to do it at the end. Or... Yeah, let's do it at the end. That makes sense to me. Let's... Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll turn ho- hosting back over to you. I'm sorry to podcast. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so basically, chapter six is another Hraithan chapter. Hraithan takes um, Diloph, his, his Odiv the Ardeth Diloph, uh, around and learns about Elantrians. Um, and sort of, like, gets the scoop on what the public opinion of them is, as well as what Diloph's opinion of them is, and decides what he will do to convert people to Shudareth is... Begin using Elantrians as sort of a scapegoat for anything. Because the thing that can unite people is, like, common shared hatred. Um, That's the chapter. That's what happens in the chapter. Everything else is details. Like, they go to the wall and we get more descriptions, kind of like some stuff I said earlier about 
the guards and the patrols. Um, it's main, That's basically what happens, is what I said. And anything that we talk about further is going to be just picking apart what the fuck that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, it starts off with like him having to, trying to figure out how the fuck to get this guy to talk straight. Because Diloff is such a zealot that he only gives like, you know, like correct um, answers. Yeah, the like, uh, what happened to Elantris? Well, Jadith struck them down, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very, um, I, 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 I found it particularly, like, that, that element where Diloph is just, like, so, um, you know, such a religious zealot that he can't even really convey information. Um, I thought that was particularly, like, kind of, I guess, interesting in, in the um, discussion of, like, how specifically they're planning on scapegoating the Elantrians. Um, Mm -hmm. where, like, it's, you know, Diloph is, like, really, really invested in this idea that the Elantrians never had any kind of magic power, and that it was all fake tricks, and there was, like, never any reason to worship them because they're evil. Um, and Hraithan is like, I mean, yeah, but, like, Satan does exist and has magic power. We can just say that they are inhabited by Satan, which, I mean, in the story, (laughs) Satan is called... Sfrakis, and that's the souls of the dead who hate Jadith. But, like, it's it's extremely, like, the same kind of thing that, um, you know, Christians will say, where it's like, oh, yeah, no, like, evil supernatural power totally exists. And then, like, that's just a tool for hating right. whoever. Mm-hmm. And he has this, this exchange at the beginning of the chapter where it's like, uh, yes, obviously Jadith struck down Elantris, but... Sometimes he uses natural processes to bring about as well. A plague will kill Fjordel as well as Araline. Janeth would protect his chosen, of course. Yeah, just kind of dismissing him. Like, um, this is also I mentioned where the the audiobook narrator was kind of queer coding um, uh, Ash. Um, <laughs> he's also Igor coding um, Diloph. He's just doing an Igor voice. You can't coin the phrase Igor coded. <laughs> Watch me, I just did. I will say oh. that that is I feel like that's in the book. Like Yeah, that is in the book, but he's just like, Oh yes, master, I will. <laughs> like, just, like shut up. He's so terse and passionate that it's like he has he's He's horny for God. <laughs> like, actively, physically, presently. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's, like, an urgency to his speech at the beginning of this chapter that's, like, are you, like, about to just go sicko mode on everybody? What's happening? Is Like... I'm, I'm really curious. I don't think we got any real hint of this in this chapter. Um... I would be so curious to know, like, what happened in Diloph's life that made him convert to this religion. Um, it, I don't know. It's possible we're not going to get anything like that, and it's just going to be like, well, he is a zealot. He just is. But, like, I, I feel like the vibe I'm getting is that, like, something went horribly wrong for him, and this religion was the answer. And that's, like, why he's so invested well, and it's, it's mentioned offhand, like, um, it's mentioned somewhere that, like, he had converted, um, before 
really anybody in the city had uh, converted to this faith. Like he, um, he con- converted before a launcher spell. Yeah. I think. Um, so like he's been he's been this way for a very long time, and it, yeah, I think it very much could go like, oh, he, this is just the character. This is just who he is. Or like you know, chapter twenty, like we'll get some exploration of like. Why is he like this? We'll have a uh, Dilok interlude at some point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I definitely understand uh, uh, hating Dilok because he does, like, suck. But um, saying that he's like Igor is now making me sort of imagine him as a funny little guy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, we just have, like, a huge dude in armor and a little, like, kind of, uh, uh, you know, guy following him around being a creep, and I I like that visually. (laughs) (laughs) I want to point out that my cover of Elantris has Wraithen on it, um, it? as played by Nicolas Cage. Yeah, no, that is Nicolas Cage for sure. Oh my god. I think... I think it's Raithan and Serene, and I think Raiden is nowhere to be seen on this cover. Which is very funny. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so they go to this wall, and we also get some exposition that I think we touched on in the uh, earlier part about, like, um, the, the, the exact phrase that's used is that, like, the, the force that is protecting the wall is essentially a PR thing as much as a, like, more than, like, we are actually guarding Elantris and keeping the Elantrians in Elantris, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, and and Harithan mar- remarks about, like, oh, yeah, if uh, Fjordal's armies come here, like, that force is not a problem for them. Like, not at all. Um, uh, yeah. They also they also talk about like what we said about uh, the magic being evil because he's like, well, okay, if the Elantrians didn't have any magic, why are people still transforming into Elantrians today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's just sort of a, a quick Twitter own on Diloff. <laughs> um, I mean, it's. The thing is, like, Diloff accepts so quickly this... I feel like Diloff knew that by saying that the Elantrians never had any magic, he was, like, denying obvious reality, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. There's, like, this bit at the end where, like, Hraithen, um, basically starts this idea of the Elantrians being this evil force and realizes that Diloph has kind of led him there. Yes. Yeah. I really, um, I I think it's actually very interesting that like Hraithen doesn't say to Diloph, Hey, the explanation for the Elantrians is that they are, they are Sfrakis and they always have been. And that's just what's true. He, he says that, and then, like, this moment that you just mentioned happened, and then Dilof is like, yeah, but you don't really believe that, do you? And Hraithen is like, look, that's not the point. This is just what we're going to tell people so we can get them to hate the Elantrians. And it's really, um... Again, like, this is something where I just want to know more about Dilof, where I'm like, why doesn't he find that perfectly plausible? 
Like, I guess, obviously, the idea has occurred to him before and he's rejected it for some reason, but, like, why isn't, oh, the people I hate are literally Satan, not, why is that not perfectly cool with him? Right. Yeah. But also, this this leads to other questions like, what is this church? What is this belief system? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's more context that I don't... That we'll get someday. Yeah. This book is very weird, uh, I think, just because, like, there is so much exposition happening, but there's still, it feels like, some really obvious gaps, like what we're talking about, Mm -hmm, about, mm -hmm. like, what is this church's deal? And also, none of this exposition has introduced, it's introduced, like, there is conflict in the world, like, Hraithan, like, needs to convert these people so that, um, like, they're not militarily conquered. Like, there is conflict in the world, but, like, Hraithan and Sereni are not in conflict with one another yet. Um, and also, um, like, like, you know that one, what's the, like, that one, like, literary student guy you knew in high school or early college who was like, actually, Bruce Willis in Die Hard is the antagonist, not the protagonist, because he's trying to stop Snape from doing something, and that makes him the antagonist. Okay. And, like, from the, from my point of view, Hraithan's the protagonist, right? Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Hraithan's the only one who's acting on things. Currently. Yeah. He's the one with the interesting story going on. <laughs> Yeah, this is why, like, the, my last time reading this, I was so, like, whatever about the Raiden chapters at the beginning, which I only, I think I only read, like, nine chapters or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, Raiden is in school right now, <laughs> learning about the world, whereas Raiden is actually on a holy quest. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I did also want to talk about um, Duladel. Sure. Um, because it's mentioned that, um, like, Hraithan was, was involved or around for Duladel's like, destruction, mm-hmm. which was immensely violent and chaotic and, like, uh, Hraithan doesn't want to do it again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I feel colors... Yeah, this is a lot about his character. Galadon. Okay. Oh, yeah, Because Galadon sure. still says, my home is Duladel, even though Duladel doesn't exist. Right. Okay. And I don't think it fell in the last four months. Right. Right. Like, I know that we can mobilize an army to take Kay. Kai? You asked me earlier in the episode. I said I didn't remember. I don't know why I you're looking at me. I would call it Elantris and Greater Elantris. That <laughs> they can like have an army there in three months. Yeah, yeah. Times tables are short in this story, but like not that short. Right. Yeah. So I just think that it's an interesting point of character for Galadon that he says that. I also think it's interesting that Riodin, um, like Riodin knows, like, like, like. Uh, uh, Reedin, like, kind of knows some of the Duladel language, right? Like, he recognizes these, like, words that, um, uh, that Galadon is always, like, dropping into his speech. Um, but he doesn't, 
he doesn't say anything about this. Which, I mean, you know, obviously... Mm -hmm. Obviously, when I meet someone and they tell me, like, I'm from that place that got conquered, like, in the last five to ten years, um, I'm not immediately going to be like, "Uh, actually, that place doesn't exist anymore. But, like, it is... (laughs) Like, it is interesting that he doesn't even think, oh, this guy's from Dooladel? That's not a place that exists. Um, Yeah, don't you mean, like, Fjordo? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, like, it doesn't even occur to Raiden that that is worth noting. Yeah. And it's like, it is weird, because, like, he's a prince. He's, like... Surely when he was learning this language, he was also being taught about, like, the political history of this nation, because why else would they have taught him that language? Right, and also, like, he should have been somewhat aware of current events in the last... 10 years. Like, he... I don't know how old Raiden is. Like, mm-hmm. I assume 17. I was thinking 19, but yeah. He's, like, that's that's the Sanderson <laughs> He's 17 a- to 19. Yeah, definitely a teen. But, like, I would think that he would have some opinion about the people who conquered Dooladel. Some... Maybe some recollection of like, talking to people from Dooladel, like, officials. This is the story that my dad told me. And I feel like if Elantris was written today, we would have a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. We would yeah. have, like, if Elantris was written by Brandon Sanderson of 2020, this, the events of these chapters would be, like, a third of the way through the book. Mm-hmm. Because we would set up a whole bunch of shit, we'd have flashbacks to the night of the, to, of the night of the, what is the word? The Riode? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does, I think, have the feeling of, like, it's not like I don't want any of this exposition to happen. Um, I just know that he can do it better than this. Yeah. Right. And maybe he couldn't in 2005, right, right. Yeah, but he well, certainly can now. Yes. Yeah, I'm used to newer, like, more practiced novels of his. Like, the thing that I love Sanderson for, uh, among many things, is that, like, I think he's, like, an excellent craftsman of a fantasy novel, and this book is not, like, this book is not it. It's not blowing my skirt up. <laughs> um, because, yeah, like, chapter six um, ends on page 89 in Nora's book, it looks like. I can't tell you what the, uh, what, what the conflict is. Like, I can tell you what Horathan's conflict is, that he's got to... Um, like, convert this city, or there will be, like, a bloodbath. And Serena's conflict is that she has to match wits with this Gjord, or she'll be bored. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or the city will be conquered. She understands that's happening. Give her a little bit of credit. (laughs) She, but she doesn't know the timetable. She's like... Oh, if the Gjorn is here, that means there's probably some shit stirring. I guess I should put that on it's my to-do list. Yeah. yeah. At some, like, like she knows that the this city is on their to-do list. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, she definitely has no idea, like, how big of a deal it is. And I also think, like, to some extent... I mean, I'm sure she'd be freaked out if she thought that the Fjordal army was coming in three months. But you also definitely do get the sense, I think, that, like, for Serene, like... She really wanted to, like, do some political maneuvering. And, like, by God, she's yeah. going to do it, uh, whether she has to or not. 
she she shows up in this court and is like, all right, who am I going to do some political maneuvering with? There's a Giorn? All right, going to go toe-to-toe with the Pope. It's more like a, a cardinal. Bishop. Or a cardinal? <laughs> I don't know the ranking. I think a cardinal of... because there's only 20 of them, um, and I think cardinals are... More yeah, I think to cardinals that. are are, are big wigs in that way. Also, they Where dress they all in red. Down? Maybe that's just all of um, Shudereth priests, though. I don't know. You're, you're just googling cardinals, Catholic Church. Well, I didn't want to get the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> um, I don't have a good inkling. I don't have a good lead on Here, how many just, cardinals are there. <laughs> you could have just googled I, I, how many. Hard. Do you want me to type? No. <laughs> How many cardinals have COVID? <laughs> that is about oh, the I... St. Louis Cardinals. Two hundred and twenty-one. Okay. There are two hundred cardinals in the entire Catholic Church. Yeah. Which I have heard is pretty big. Yeah. Sizable. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Also, red armor. Yes. Oh, that reminds me of one thing that I thought was kind of uh, funny, is like, in Chapter 5, when Serini sees Hraithen, she's like, oh, that armor's definitely fake. It's like, thin metal that would not do any good in battle, because nobody could, like, move as, like, quickly and and effectively as this guy does in actual full plate. I, I hope that she's right, and it's just ceremonial armor, because that makes a lot more sense to me. But I wouldn't put it past this book for it to be like, no, Hraithen is just so tough. (laughs) The other alternative is, like, it's magic armor. Well, yeah. That would also make sense. I'd be curious, like, is this just, like, does Serene have some sort of, like, knowledge of combat? Like, does she get, like, princess martial arts training or something? Like, um, or does she just, does she just look at that and see that it's ceremonial because Brandon didn't really think about, like, why would this character who... I mean, I assume that most ruling families have, like, an approximate knowledge of many things. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I would also imagine that, like, even if she personally has not been taught to fight because, you know, there would... I find it believable that in this story women aren't supposed to fight, even though, like, there really hasn't been any reason given so far that that would be the case. But, like, it seems like we're just dealing with real-world sexism here, so I think we can assume that that's true. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like... Uh, but but even given that, like, it makes sense to me that she would have seen, like, um, other people in ceremonial armor before, and, like, mm-hmm. l- like, not necessarily that she's had a lot of contact with, like, warriors, but that she's had a lot of contact with, like, important people who wear armor at court, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, I'm, I, I'm sure that a king has ceremonial armor. Right. And, like, yeah. I can totally... Oh, I can totally see, like, little Sereni, like, like teasing her dad about, like, what a what a powerful warrior he is when she knows that the armor that he's wearing is, like, like two millimeters thick. That seems like mm-hmm. the vibe that they have. Yeah. Um, another thing uh, that we f- forgot to bring up is that Raiden mentions... Oh, I was going to talk about a different thing. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that Raiden and Serini did not just write letters. We know that they did Skype. Yes. They- I think we mentioned that in the last one, because it is, it is briefly mentioned in Serini's first chapter that she had Skyped with. 
Uh, was it? Yeah. I thought that was in Raid in the second chapter. It's, it's mentioned in hers, and then he also is like, damn, I got to meet my girlfriend on Skype, but I never got to see her IRL. Damn. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Um, because we're doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter podcast, I was going to bring up um, what might be called a quibble, but is also feels serious to me about a sentence that, that Brandon writes here. Oh, right, yeah. Which is that... And I don't, I don't have the sentence in front of me, but, um, like, Hraithan is talking about, like, um, his fears about the army coming, and he doesn't want, um, like, there to be all this chaos, like you mentioned. He doesn't want it to be, like, Doolittle. Uh, but, but the sentence is something along the lines of, when the armies would come in three months and rape the city, and I'm like, hey, Brandon... There are, like, eight synonyms for that word you can use, and it really feels like you've picked the edgiest one here because he's the bad guy of the book. Yeah, I, um... It, it, it really kind of made me mad. It, it was... I was honestly... So, like, I know that um, there's, like, an updated anniversary edition, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm pretty sure that I don't have that version. Um, and I do. So I definitely, when I read that line, was like, oh, I assume that's cut. In the no, nope. but no, no, nope, I have it right here. <laughs> yeah, that's just like that sucks. It sucks. They're, like yeah. I say, like you could say pillage, conquer. Like that's too off the top of my head, but it just went with like it. It, it, it felt to me like oh well, I have to establish Hraithan as like the antagonist, the villain, the the imperialist, the state church guy. So I will choose the like. Like I will put words in his mouth, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel right for Hraith in any way. Yeah, he doesn't want this he, to happen. Yeah, and there's like, it's like, honestly, it's not like he's speaking with disdain for the mechanisms that he's trying to present, or he's talking with spite for like the people of these cities. Like, there's none of that here, so I don't know why he would choose a specifically violent word. So I have a, like, dumb theory, um, uh -huh. which is that if you are, like, if you do Latin in high school, um, you'll encounter the Latin verb that is the root of this word, and it literally just means capture, or, like, loot. And there's mm -hmm. about a bazillion things... It, that, like historical events or like classical motifs that are referred to as like the rape of whatever that are literally just like capture. Um, mm -hmm. And I find it really like, I don't know if this is, if that's a thing that Brandon ever actually did. Um, but I just find it very believable that he literally wasn't trying to communicate anything with this, that you wouldn't be trying to communicate with just the word pillage. Like I honestly think right. it's just a bad word choice. Mm -hmm. That make that makes sense. Um, this could be a little bit like uh, up your own ass with too much classical works and like not thinking, mm -hmm. not like in, like not realizing that this particular word was super like common for things that you were reading when you were writing this, and like not even thinking twice about it. Yeah. Um, to to lighten the mood slightly, this is. In, in that light, it could be similar to when I was 11 and I read The Hobbit and I was like, 
You know what? We should start using the word queer to mean weird. I like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just not knowing a greater context of the word queer. I was just like, oh, this is a fun word. I like how it sounds. And so just... <laughs> That's how I feel. Using... That's how I feel every... <laughs> Sorry, not to bring it up again, but they, the... Moby Dick is exactly like that. And Moby Dick is also really gay. Um, so it's very funny. Like he's constantly calling things queer, and it's like, oh, you're you're right, but you don't know why. <laughs> I mean, fellowship is also that a little bit. Fellowship is also that. <laughs> um, there's also a part where Hrathen lists the dangers of Aralon outside of Fjordon, which are um, inept leadership. An overtaxed working class, religious uncertainty, and dwindling resources. All these factors competed to deliver the final blow. When I was listening to it, I misheard overtaxed working class as overtaxed upper class, so I just totally misunderstood the uh, what, that's, no. that, what that line was saying. So I'm, I'm glad you read that so that I could, I, I could be corrected on that. I feel like even though... That, like, list of problems is very... There's a lot about that where I look at that and I'm like, this isn't real. Like, this is not what a a crisis in a city looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think that, like, the thing that's going on with Raythan in this chapter on some level is that, like, he's a fascist and he's looking at a crisis and he's like, ah, I can use this to make fascism happen, which, like, is real, you know? Um, it's just... Yeah, it's how actual fascism works, yeah, you know? It's just, like, it's it's extremely... It, it It is as if, like, every single, like, fascist leader was, like, sitting down in a room and was like, alright, today I think I will do some fascism, and I will do it by scapegoating a group that I actually have nothing against. Um, <laughs> yeah. I barely understand, and only really learned about today. <laughs> right. Only saw today i'd heard of before it's and i assume he locks eyes with Raiden. is that i don't know because like he it mentions that he like looks at one of them and it looks at him and then the guy runs off and i assume that that's our only connection between hmm the, these characters now so is Raiden bald now are all of uh pe- galadon is bald yes oh so it could be yeah yeah. Also, um, all Elantrians are balding. Yeah. It, Their hair's falling out. Okay. I did remember that part. Uh, it's mostly that I think it would be, much as I think it's it's a it's a real like power move to put Camel Case in your first book. I also think it would be a real power move to make like the hot male protagonist of your first book bald. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if Kaladin was bald. <laughs> I mean, the hot protagonist of Way of Kings is bald. From a certain point of view. <laughs> Seth. <laughs> Seth is bald, yes. Yeah, but that's late in his career, by which point he's, like, at the height of his power. <laughs> I'm putting a bald protagonist in this book. Fuck you. <laughs> I can't get over the fucking... The fucking video that was, like, somebody... It was, like, a picture of Seth and someone laughing, and then it cuts to a picture of One Punch Man in white, and he laughs even harder. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, to go back to what Tilly was saying, like, it's literally, um, Hraithan says to, uh, Diloph, like, I will now show you the tool 
which not many can use. It is the tool by which uh, uh, Fjordel is able to conquer nations. Um, and then he's like, ah yes, the Elantrians. I, I have decided that I hate them. And it's just so... It also just felt like Brandon was biting off a lot, and we'll see if he's able to chew it. Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> um, Brandon has made himself, like, just a gigantic sandwich full of fascism, and, like... <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um... Yeah. Um, I started to say something, and then I was like, no, I think I finished everything I was thinking about this chapter. <laughs> I'm just gonna bring up little details if we keep going. Yeah. Should we Should we wrap it up? Do you have anything else, Tilly? No, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. How would you like to learn about Sanderson's laws of magic? I mean, that is yeah, what we're here for. That is sort of the selling is... point. <laughs> There's magic, and it's gonna have laws. Like <laughs> these are creative writing guidelines that can be used to create magic systems for fantasy stories. Okay. One. This is Sanderson's first law of magic. Okay. An author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands that magic. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, unless you're J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about. Um... That is how I feel about like uh, uh, like like powers in shows that are mainly about fighting. Um, uh-huh. uh, like it's always really frustrating to me when I don't actually understand, um, you know, what the limits of like the capabilities of a mobile suit are, or like the powers that a shonen hero has, or whatever. Because um, it just feels like I can't. Uh, build up expectations for what will happen except in like a purely impressionistic way which is like fine but it's it, it's fun for me to actually know like ah this person is powerful at range and this one's good close up and like whatever can i can i complain about the the last few arcs of yu yu Hakusho, <laughs> an anime from the 90s uh-huh i mean <laughs> um nobody watches anime that old but okay go on <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly don't have any particular intention to watch Yu Yu Hakusho, so yeah, feel free. Alright, well, if you want to watch Yu Yu Hakusho, which I don't recommend, I think it's pretty bad, um, uh, I guess skip ahead a little bit. I'm going to complain about something. So they do this gigantic, this enormous uh, tournament arc that uh, I think has a little too much fat on it, but it's pretty good because I think it is a lot of like, oh, this fighter is really good because he can fly, but his weakness is this, and can and can Yusuke like take advantage of that that weakness because he's not very good at that, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> um, and toward the end of the tournament arc, it gets to be well, this guy's just really fucking buff, and at the end of the tournament arc, uh, or, or at the start of the next arc, they um, talk to their boss, and their boss is like oh, well, I never told you this before, but we actually have a, a system for grading how tough people are. And all those guys that you fought that were, like, going to end the whole universe, they were only C-list. And the the next tougher guys are B, and then there's, like, the A-class demons. And then it's just, like... And it makes it a little too literal, because then all the guys are just buffer than the last guy you saw. Yeah. <laughs> it's very annoying. It's very bad. Yu Yu Hakusho really gets bad toward the end, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah, like, I, anyway, I feel like that's the that's... trap you fall into when you think that, like, the meaning of, like, this first rule or this, like, general concept of writing is that, like, the fights have to be real, which is not true. Um, it is, mm-hmm. it is, it is a, a, a basic misunderstanding of, of how writing works to think that, like, it actually means anything to say that, like, this guy's power level is greater than that one, right? Or that, like, like if, right. if I write, oh, this character is, like, uh, skilled at ranged combat, but, like, is kind of fucked up up close, there's nothing in that that stops me from writing them winning an up-close battle, right? Like, yeah. um... <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that leads to people arguing for, what has it been, six years? Five years? About Rey beating Kylo Ren in Force Awakens? Oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, second, uh, Sanderson's second law of magic. Weaknesses, limits, and costs are more important than powers. I would agree with that. Yeah. That seems like a good rule. I feel like yeah. that is also like really so that that like it's that's what makes it interesting to think about matchups in a way that isn't just about like oh um what powers are good about against what other powers but also like yeah what are people giving up anyway yeah it's good yeah like I in in white sand they live in a desert and they manipulate they basically sand bend mm-hmm. um, but it costs water. Oh, and if okay. you run out of your little water bending pouch of water, guess where your magic will start drawing your water from? Oh, nice. Your body. So you gotta be fucking careful. I love I love a power that like hurts you when you use it too much. I love it too. It's how I make my posts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this seems like a rule that's that's built around like creating character conflict, which mm-hmm. is like a good rule, I think. Sanderson's third law of magic. The author should expand on what is already a part of the magic system before something entirely new is added, as this may otherwise entirely change how the magic systems fit into the fictional world. I don't I don't think I have a good grasp on what that means. It sounds to me like what he's saying is you can't just pull shit out of your ass, you have to introduce things before they're used. You you should you should you should expend any use of the thing you already have before you start adding a new, different thing um, to it. Okay. Yeah. So you should think about all the things that what you have can do, like allomancy, to skip ahead to Mistborn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this magic system has these rules and can do these things, and you should explore all of those things and how they interact with each other before you're like... And now there's a new magic in Mistborn. Exactly. There's, like, a new skill tree. Okay. You should, like... Because otherwise, you'll, like... This is about, like, where the magic systems fit into the world as a setting. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, if you just... If you aren't careful with what you're introducing, then you, like, have weird implications Mm. about the setting. Like, if you can bring people back from the dead, then you've, like, in- unintentionally created a setting where nobody wants to do that for no reason. Yes. Right. Okay, yeah. This is one of those places where the comparison I've been making to, like, anime doesn't fit as well, because what I'm talking about is things where, like, one person has this power, but he's talking about a situation mm-hmm. where, like, lots of people can use this power. So, like, 
you should assume that every single possible use of it has been worked out at some point by someone in history. Um, right. That makes sense to me. Historical materialism, <laughs> I think. That's not historical <laughs> materialism, but okay. Uh, anyway, this this is also... I think Sanderson was one of the people who really pushed the divide between hard and soft magic. Yes. Oh, is... Where... Um, I don't like that idea very much. He popularized it, it says. I mean, I'm not... They... they I'm not surprised that that would be a concept that Brandon Sanderson would introduce and would be in favor of, but I don't like it because I hate everyone who cares about what hard science fiction is. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, they, it says it originates from hard and soft sciences, hard science fiction, hard fantasy, and soft science fiction. I mean, gosh. Okay, I don't... Perhaps this, maybe we don't have time for this right now, but I actually would love to know what Brandon's definition of hard fantasy is, because usually when people are talking about hard science fiction, they're like, oh, it has to be something that could happen in the real world, you know? Like, it has to be consonant with existing science, even if it's making up something that doesn't yet exist, Um, which is bullshit, because, like, once you're making something up, you've gone off the map, and there's no rules about, like, what types of nova what types of like science fictional ideas that you could introduce are more or less plausible like people will treat faster than light travel as something where it's like oh you can have a hard science fiction story with this as long as like you make them deal with physics when they do it but it's like if (laughs) faster than light travel is like not as far as we currently understand physics, it's, like, not possible. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't write stories with it, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't write stories with it that give a feeling of realism and science, but, like, yeah, the shit just pisses me off. <laughs> it's it's also, yeah. like, there's yeah. a, It's also, there's, like, literal fact-based storytelling, um, or there's, like, hard, like, conveying that, even if it's not actually... Well, but like literally what I'm saying like, is that all fiction is the latter category. There's no such thing as fact-based mm-hmm. storytelling because someone made up all the facts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also hybrid magic systems. Oh. Uh, Wikipedia says most magic systems in popular fantasy books fall somewhere between the spectrum of hard and soft magic, uh, such as Harry Potter Avatar The Last Airbender, The Wheel of Time, and The Witcher. It's just not a, it's just not a useful category. Like, there's... there's yeah. th- I, I view something like hard science fiction, or like hard fantasy, quote-unquote, as like a specific aesthetic, where like you are trying to create in, in the reader the idea that this is realistic um, through the use of like certain tools, like these rules. And I really like that aesthetic. I think it's a good aesthetic, but it makes me so angry when people don't understand that it's an aesthetic and not a way of saying things that are true about the real world. Right. And it, you know, I'd never drawn this connection before, but it also being rooted in, like, um, ideas around, like, hard sciences, like physics, Mm -hmm. or soft sciences, like psychiatry Uh or something. Fucking... Just a load of horseshit. Oh, yeah. Like that is a, a fake divide that is it is a fake desi- divide created by people who have an interest in like um, 
you know, downplaying scientific contributions from other people. Um, and it is like, you know, it shows up in gendered ways. It shows up in like class ways. Like it is the diff, the divide between hard and soft science is stupid and not real. And I do Wikipedia. I do feel like it's 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 worth noting. Like one of the ways in which I want to say that like Brandon is doing this whole quote unquote hard science fiction or fantasy thing well um, is that he's not totally ignoring social science. Like we've talked about how his. Yeah. How, like, okay, there's a lot in this story that leaves us wondering, like, what's going on with the history and the culture and whatever. But he is thinking about the history and the culture, and he is thinking about, like, um, he is thinking about that in a way that has reference to real-world knowledge, right? Even though he is creating a fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that a lot of hard science fiction writers do not give a single shit about, because they think that <laughs> history and sociology are, like, pussy shit for girls. <laughs> Right. Unless it's a history of war. Right, but even right. then they're not interested in, like, um... I mean, I was going to say they're not interested in real history of war, which is maybe a weird <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, they're not interested in understanding why certain things happen in the course of a war, unless it's in a very literal, oh, well, this technology was introduced kind of way, you know? Right. It's not history, it's lore. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there, a lot of authors get interested in the, like, gamesmanship of, like, these two generals were like, oh, well, I'll do this sort of attack, and oh, I'll do this sort of defense. And, yeah. And, like, not like, oh, well, this army had more access to railroads, and so that's how they This won. army had pigs. <laughs> yeah, and, like, yeah, I think that's something you can say for Brandon Sanderson, is that, like, if he's gonna write a war... It's not going to be about, like, two dudes sitting behind their consoles, like, making all the decisions. Like, there are going to be some pigs in there somewhere. Yeah. Sometimes the pig has a spear and can fly. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think this goes without saying. I I did want to briefly say I have been a little bit, like, uh, booing and poo-pooing everything Brandon has said in this episode. I do really like... Brandon Sanderson None of these novels. are quotes from Brandon. Right. Um, except for the actual, like, laws. Wait. Wait, sorry. Um, okay, the laws you're reading are things Brandon Sanderson actually wrote, right? Yeah, yes. yes. Okay. But the rest of the stuff I have listed has been from the Wikipedia page that is the Brandon Sanderson Wikipedia page. Ah. I'm sure... I bet I could find... Like, Here's him talking about this in an prob- interview. I mean, I know he has podcast episodes about them on yeah. writing excuses. But I don't know. I, I'd have to go look and see if he's written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I, I will say that, like, just by virtue of the fact that he's talking at all about the concept of hard fantasy, that means that he's not falling prey to the, like, dumbest shit of people who like hard science fiction, where, like, they really think it's really real. Like, they think they're predicting the future because they're talking about technologies that could theoretically happen. Like, he knows he's not talking about technologies that could be made in the real world. Um. Right, right. Um, yeah, people get really hung up on, like, oh, I like these William Gibson novels because they're real or something. Jeff Gersman voice, Terminator 1 is real. That could fucking happen, man. <laughs> like, if, if you're reading a book and it doesn't seem like it could really happen at all, then, like, it's not necessarily a very good book. I mean, okay. Yeah. Perhaps that's... 
Now, now I want to take that back because I do feel like there are books where part of what they're trying to do is like a sense of unreality or whatever. Um, like, uh, I was just going to add that like a core thing that this page says about soft magic systems is that they are used differently to create wonder rather than to explain like the mechanics of of what's happening yeah Mm -hmm. i mean the thing that annoys me about that idea is that like okay you're the the page you're reading listed harry potter as being like midway between like soft and hard but like Uh, yeah for some reason yeah in in in, (laughs) according to like my understanding of what these words should mean, Harry Potter is the softest shit ever, because there's no explanation for how or why any of this functions. And, it, like... Not not only is there no explanation, the, uh, like, frame of, I guess, or, like, the possibility space yes. for what is or is not allowed, or what, what consequences or what magnitude something has, is constantly shifting... In really, like, weird and obtuse and sometimes just sloppy ways. But the magic in Harry Potter also does not create wonder. The magic in Harry Potter is just, like, plot devices. And I think that's what magic, frankly, usually is in most of fiction that has magic. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I think the cases where it's uh, successfully creating an aesthetic of realism or successfully creating an aesthetic of wonder are, like good and like worthy of admiration but the idea that it's all doing one of those two things or that it's somewhere in a spectrum between those two things is not i don't Mm -hmm. agree yeah yeah i think um i I talked earlier in the episode about uh ursula k Le Guin's earth sea series and that's like i like think that would be a very easy and classical example of like um soft magic like they're the rules are not explained. I don't know that there are rules. It's all about um, feelings and shit. But, like... <laughs> it's... Uh, Le Guin is doing a lot more than just trying to... Like, create the feeling of wonder. Like, there's a lot going on yeah. in everything going on with the magic. And just to reduce it down to wonder is, like... This is such a... Uh, people who think yeah. that they love science fiction and fantasy love to define it in ways that make it so much less than what it actually is. Um, like I, uh, in another life, I thought I was going to be like a literary theorist, um, writing about this shit. And so I've read a lot of definitions of what science fiction and fantasy or, or speculative fiction or whatever the fuck they want to call it is. Um, and, uh, the one, you very often see people talking about it like, oh, this is the fiction that gives you a sense of wonder. And it's just like, why would you say that this whole, like, complicated and huge and weird genre is all about one emotion? Right. Well, like, you know, um, I feel like a very, like, common narrative is that science fiction kind of begins with uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of wonder in that book, <laughs> you know? I think there's, like... I, I There's some, but... I, I feel like sometimes when people say that sense of wonder thing, what they really mean... The thing that they're talking about with wonder is maybe a little bit broader. Like, I feel like they include things that I would maybe describe as, like, a sense of horror, right? Um, yeah. Like, I think... I, 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 I want to say I've actually seen someone point to the moment when Victor, like... Uh, uh, 
realizes sort of what he's done and like just kind of turns away from it and goes to bed as like a sense of wonder moment um which is obviously not a positive thing um but right um yeah no that makes that makes sense i just like yeah the 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 genre is a lot more than wonder i think for sure yeah yeah (laughs) um it's interesting that Frankenstein is science fiction, considering there's no science and it's not fiction. Well, that's not what. <laughs> okay. Frankenstein's real. Okay. <laughs> You're trolling me here, Nora. I you. I think you've short circuited both of our brains. I. I'm melting right now. <laughs> Please, Please take us to the plug zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Tilly, uh, let's get some plugs going. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so. <laughs> the way you said that was very funny. I. You can find me on the internet um, at Char Asnablunt on Twitter. Um, and I also have another podcast, which I mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, called Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, which is a podcast about Moby Dick. We're going through it a few chapters at a time. And, uh, that's on the Abnormal Mapping Podcast Network. Uh, so yeah, that's me. Autumn, plug us up. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. I will not be plugging anything up. Um... And, uh, 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 you totally just threw off my vibes. Terrible vibes in the plug zone today. We're plugging. <laughs> plugging away in the plug mines. On Twitter, at autumnal at underscore coffee, I do this podcast. I do export audio, also with Nora. Um, I do, um... <laughs> it makes it sound like I'm the featuring new funky mode of export audio. <laughs> you are the, the new funky mode. Uh, I do hot singles uh, with my friend Regression. I that's also on the Expert Audio Network and on, on Abnormal Mapping. I do and then an aeroplane, which you should go listen to our episode that goes up today as we are recording this uh, about Howl's Moving Castle, where Em and I absolutely trash a beloved film again. <laughs> Yeah, we've do- we've done it. <laughs> we've done it four times now. I've seen that 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 giant showed up from Twin Peaks, and he said it's happening again in front of a red curtain. And then we recorded a podcast where we were like, "Hayao Miyazaki doesn't make very good movies." <laughs> um, that other guy though, Takahata, incredible movies. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that this I might make a weekend project of like creating a sort of like homepage for export audio because as I was doing these plugs, I was kind of like, you know, there's not a one good place that you can find all the podcasts that I do. So I own exportaudio. Right now, it goes to the Patreon. It could go. Watch that. Else. Watch that space. Maybe it'll go to a Squarespace page. Squarespace. <laughs> They're not sponsoring us. Build it, beautiful. <laughs> I refuse to build anything. Um, you can find me on Twitter at. Nina. Oh, I remember. Wow, I just wanted to throw off your vibes. I just wanted to mess. You up can find vibes. me on Twitter at either Nora. You can find most of the stuff I do at norablake.online. You can find the podcast at exportod.io for now. I'm sure you will still in the future. 
Uh, it might make you click more than once to find it, though. Uh, you can donate to the Patreon at patreon.com slash export audio. And you should. Uh, all patrons get access to some bonus shows. They're uh, going to get um, like five minutes of cut content that was a little more explicit than we wanted this t- uh, this show to be. Oh my be. god, you really... Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, no, good. We, I, we... I approve. I, I just didn't realize you were definitely doing that. <laughs> if you if you want some uh, if you want a conversation if, from the last episode that was very explicit but very informative about sperm whales, <laughs> <laughs> um, that'll be in the Patreon soon before this episode goes up that you're listening to. So, um, uh. I guess we can just take it to the close now, but um, did we have anything else we wanted to say? We talked about our books up front this yeah. time, so yeah, I think I think we're pretty much all set. Oh, we had a we had a terrible idea for a sign off. I know, um, and I just realized that there are three oaths and there are three of us. <laughs> But I don't want to do that. We can but do we that. Can it's do just the, the like, trading it, thing. It's just the pr- only problem is that it's a reference to a book we won't read for three years. Yeah, I actually... <laughs> probably longer than that. <laughs> yeah, probably a bad idea. Probably not that. Uh, so, do we want to come up with an Elantra specific sign off for this this season of the podcast? Uh, problem is, like, we don't know what the plot is yet. Or, like, what people <laughs> care about. And remember, worship Shudareth. <laughs> Stan Shudareth. <laughs> anyway, stream is... Janet. <laughs> Stan Janet. <laughs> we could say Stan Janet. That's probably not questionable. <laughs> Who's Jonathan? The god, the god yeah. of their religion. Probably questionable. I'm thinking <laughs> probably questionable. Probably less questionable than saying Stan Wern the fourth. Wern Wolfden the fourth. Probably. So. <laughs> we should just stop recording. We're done. Um. Until next time. Uh. You should. Uh, um... If you're writing a magic system, <laughs> I'm follow me squirm, I guess. I, I have my finger over the stop button. But I was gonna say something about, like, make your own shield and transform yourself into a the undead? better person. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>